This episode of the podcast is uh, brought to you by LegalZoom. Oh, before I do any of that, comedy dates I got going on this weekend, which is uh, the 13th, what is it? 13th, let me see. Um, 13th, 14th, and 15th, I am at the Irvine Improv. 13th, 14th, 15th, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I think... Most of it's sold out. I think there's some tickets left for Sunday, a few tickets left for Sunday. I think most of Friday and Saturday sold out. And then I'm at the Ice House May 28th, Saturday night, May 28th. Some tickets are still available for that. And then the Ka Theater, July 8th in Las Vegas, Nevada, with the great Joey motherfucking Diaz. Oh, yeah, and then the Ryman, the Ryman um, Auditorium on the 20th. And that's almost sold out, too. Uh, that is uh, 20th of May. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by LegalZoom. Didn't do that yesterday, did I? Yeah. Oh, this episode's not brought to you by LegalZoom. How do you like that, bitch? What did I do yesterday? LegalZoom and stamps? Oh, LegalZoom. Okay, stamps. Hey, Stamps is one of my favorites anyway. Stamps.com is a service that allows you to send things through the post office, without going to the post office, through the U.S. Postal Service, you can buy and print official U.S. postage from a regular computer with a regular printer. And you can do that with Stamps.com. And you can save at least 50% compared to using a postage meter. You'll avoid all those time-consuming trips to the post office, and it's super easy to use. This is what you do. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in J-R-E. And you will get a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer, which includes postage and a digital scale. They give you that digital scale. Don't use it for mushrooms. You take that digital scale. You weigh your packages. You print out the postage. You put the postage, the, the printed postage, on the box. Hand it to the mailman. You're done. Drop it in the mailbox. You're done. That's it. No lines. No nothing. It's over. You do it in the middle of the night. Do it first thing in the morning. Do whatever the fuck you want. So go to stamps.com. Before you do anything, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in J-R-E. Uh, can't recommend it enough. So many people I know use it. Uh, Burt Kreischer uses it when he sends out his machine t-shirts. Uh, Bill Burr uses stamps.com. Brian Redband uses it. I can't say enough about it. It's awesome. Stamps.com. And click on the microphone, use the code word J-R-E. We're also brought to you by Audible. Audible is the Internet's leading provider in audio entertainment. And Audible.com is, it is a, a treasure trove of audio stuff. Whether it's Audible or audio books, uh, whether it is uh, pod, not podcast, but uh, comedy, whether it is radio shows, there's, uh, there's classic speeches and lectures on there. Um, and they carry titles in business, uh, fiction, history, romance, erotica, sexuality. Hey, keep it in your pants while you're driving. That's kind of weird to have erotica, sexuality, in audible form. You know, whatever you're into. Sci-fi, fantasy, self-development. Um, over 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. You'll find what you're looking for. It's an awesome, awesome research resource rather. Uh, and you can get a free trial by going to audible.com forward slash Joe. Um, can't say enough about Audible. And here's a good um, book to uh, try out. How about my pal Burt Kreischer's The Life of the Party, read by Burt Kreischer. 
Wasn't Meat Eater read by... St- Which one was not read by Steve Rinella? Fuckers. That's a real problem with books, man. Books that are not read by the person who wrote the book, that annoys me. I don't like it. But unless it's Stephen King. Well, just let me tell you as a recommend recommendation. I'm a big Stephen King fan, but don't let him read him. <laughs> you want to get an actual... Uh, actor person to read Stephen King's books. It's just, they're just not the same with him doing it. Anyway, um, audible.com forward slash Joe, go there and you can get your free 30 day trial. So that's audible.com forward slash Joe. Enjoy it. You fucks. <laughs> and we're also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter is an awesome way for you to find someone to fill a job position that you have open without spending a whole lot of time posting these jobs in various sites trying to find the right candidate. Um, We know how difficult it is to find the right person that you're trying to hire. It's hard. And uh, when you are short a person, you're also short resources. You don't have the time to be going to all these different places. Well... With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide, and you just post once. and Watch your candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. It's very easy to use. You can quickly screen candidates, rate them. Hire the right person fast. ZipRecruiter has been used by over one, oh, 800, excuse me, over 800,000 businesses. And right now, listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. Give it a shot by going to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash Rogan. What do you have to lose? That's why they are offering it for free because it's awesome. ZipRecruiter.com forward slash Rogan. Try it for free. That's ZipRecruiter.com forward slash Rogan. And last but not least, I'll make this brief. We are brought to you each and every episode by Onnit.com. Go to O-N-N-I-T. Check it out. Um, it is a total human optimization company. Look into all the different products we carry. Look into the supplements, all the strength and conditioning equipment. Look into the Academy link, the Academy link, which is filled with articles on strength and conditioning, science, the science behind exercise physiology and nutrition, uh, workouts of the day, motivational articles and videos, and of course there is an Onnit Academy, a physical academy, which is in Austin, Texas, uh, which features state-of-the-art equipment and awesome instruction and also 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. Go there, enjoy, Onnit.com, code word Rogan, save 10% off any and all supplements. Ba-bam! My guest today, the great Alex Gray and his wife, Allison Gray. Um, the Alex Gray, if you don't know who he is, he's an amazing artist, a visionary artist who does a lot of uh, psychedelic artwork. And they have also founded something called the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors. And they're in the process of building a, like a real sort of a cathedral. How would you describe it? A, um, it's, it's kind of a church. I'll let them describe it. It's called Entheon. They're building it right now. It's one of the reasons why they came on the podcast to promote it and just to talk about some cool shit. They're beautiful people. They're they what I would call super hippies. So <laughs> with, please welcome uh, Alex and Allison Gray. Joe Rogan Podcast. Check it out. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day. Joe Rogan Podcast by night. All day. 
And we're live. You don't have headphones? There you go. Alex and Allison Gray. Hello. How are you guys? Great, Joe. I think you got to turn that sucker around and see that one. There you go. Nope. Oh, my goodness. This is Joey Diaz part two. Remember when Joey Diaz couldn't figure out the headphones? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, folks. What's going on? We are in the middle of uh, building Entheon. I've I've heard. Yeah, that's That's the rumor. The thing that you got us uh, kicked off on, really. The last time that we uh, spoke to you, we were doing a Kickstarter campaign to build Entheon. It was like three years ago. And we're in the middle of another one because we started building it and we need a little more money to finish the interior. Now we've got a three-story, 12,000-square-foot building with a new roof and incredible uh, spaces to exhibit visionary art. So it's it's there, and I guess it's just a matter of time uh, about finishing it. And the more money we get, the quicker we'll be able to finish it. Are there images of it right now currently in, in construction that people can view? Oh, yeah. look at that. Jamie's on it. Whoa, yep. that's amazing. Where did you get – that looks like really old brick. That's cool-looking brick. 1882. Was built Whoa. in. It's like we, we're, we're saving the carriage house from 1882. So explain the process. So it started out as a carriage house. Yep. And you saved part of it. Yes. We surrounded it. Wow. Oh, so you surrounded the, it with art it's inside the building. Whoa, Jamie, scroll back up. Hold on, don't go anywhere. Get back up to the top one. That you, yeah, look at that. Wow, that's, that's just one room on the third floor. That's where the sacred mirrors are going to be. There's Ooh. three floors. Yeah, we're going to put crisscross kind of scaff, uh, lattice across the angels. Um, let's see. On my Instagram, I suppose, there's a more recent feed of the uh, interior. Now we've got a couple of the actual angels. There were ten angels in the previous um, chapel installation. installation there in the New York City. And wow. I always wanted to... <laughs> He went to uh, the wrong Alex Gray. Uh, he went he, to some. We're, we're trying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's relevant, isn't it? It is. It is. Well, let's see. So there's a space. There's one of the angels over there. That's a. Uh, yeah. Wow. This this is the planned corner. One of the uh, angels of the four corners. That uh, the direction of the building that we're kind of recycling the carriage house has the corners of the buildings pointing in the cardinal directions. So I thought that a feature of them, there will be angels of the north, south, east, west. And part of the whole thing is getting the four quadrants together. On top of the building, there's a steeple head that is basically a four-faced being that that, uh, is the people of the four uh, directions coming together in visionary oneness. So it's as a building, it's a big, basically, godhead. Hmm. And uh, is that a real image of the actual outside of the building with no, that angel on it? No, or that's that's some lockup. Yeah, that's the computer uh, model that was made by w- one of the Disney animators, uh, Ryan Toddle. He's the guy that is responsible uh, for running the uh, one of the digital animation teams that did Zootopia and Frozen. 
He's oh, an wow. amazing uh, modeler. Go back there, Jim. Look at this outside of this building. That might be the coolest looking building on the planet Earth. Go up a little bit and you'll see uh, one of the coolest things about the video that uh, is in there is that it shows a kind of spin around of the uh, building itself that was done by these amazing um, – the, that's from the front. So Whoa. you've got a kind of evolutionary thing going on on the sides. And, oh, yeah. And then it gets to the uh, – the front door, which is Adam and Eve uh, creating a better world. So it kind of brings together those mythologies of uh, those narratives of uh, development. Can you can you zoom in on the Adam and Eve, Jamie? Is it a, is a zoom as it is, guess? Is that a caduceus in, in the mm -hmm. middle of them? Let's see. Actually, down below, uh, way down below, there's a um, – there, there you get to see. Oh, Wow. So you really did the caduceus and then sort of replicated the DNA, which a lot of people believe was what the uh, caduceus was based on in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. And it's all growing out of some mushrooms there at the base. Alex mm. did the drawing. Wow. And then it was sculpted in teak. Whoa. Full-size, four-by-eight-foot doors. There's two of them. And then we had it scanned. We got a grant to have it scanned. And then it'll be on the door in metal. So it'll be cast in metal. The originals ah. will be on view inside because they're made of teak. Oh, that's <laughs> and they're wild. so precious. <clears throat> so it's, what kind of metals are going to be cast in? Bronze, I'm hoping. Ooh. Whoa, that is so cool. Yeah. And so what is going on with the evolution thing? So the evolute, there's the, the lower hominids, they mm -hmm. become Homo erectus, and then what is that child-like thing with the arms up in the air? Well, I wanted to uh, – thanks for noticing that. Uh, on the end of this paintbrush, which is kind of flying up and indicating a kind of upward – uh, trajectory uh, there's a drip coming off of it and it, the drip also looks like an eyeball the center of the eyeball is the earth and uh, there's a skeleton a child and the person who's fully grown woman and man on either side and they each are reaching for the planet now the question is who's going to get the ball basically the skeleton or the human? Yeah. Will th will we be handing this to the next generation, or are we just going to blow it? So the skeleton sort of represents death? Yeah, it represents the end of the line for the human species. For anybody who's not, uh, I didn't even introduce your page. The Instagram page is, what is it? <clears throat> is it Alex, Alex Gray Cosm? C-O-S-M. Mm -hmm. This is uh, buildentheon.com. This is the um, uh, Kickstarter and how long has campaign. it been going on for now? Let's see, about 20 days. We're halfway there. We yep. have a 40-day campaign. We're about three times where we were last. We did this uh, campaign the same length, the same days, three years ago in 2013, and we're three times ahead of where we were. And we, we, we actually, um, well, we did 160% of our goal the last time. So we're, we're, you know, we're challenging ourselves to even higher. What I meant was, uh, how long has it been under construction? How long? Construction. It's been uh, <clears throat> since September of uh, 2015. Okay, so year, year or so? 
yeah. year and a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is the ultimate end date where you believe this all be constructed? Well, it really depends on the money that we raise to do the exterior. The interior we're going to have done by 2017, um, and we're aiming at the um, winter uh, of 2017. It should be doable. You know, everybody's telling us it's doable. This is the interior will open, the The exhibition. And then we'll see. You know, who knows? I mean, there's there's indications that, you know, like – you don't know how money money's going to come in. This campaign is only to finish the exhibition interiorly, and then uh, you know if we still, which I think we will, need to raise another one point five million dollars to do the sculptural exterior, which is done by three uh, D printout. It's a three D printout, twenty feet high by eight by eight. And what is the substance it's made of? Well. It'll be finished in uh, glass-reinforced cast concrete, but you print out the foam, then you make the mold. You make a fiberglass mold. There's about a couple dozen molds that will be needed to do the sculptures. And there's a place right across the river from us, 30 minutes away, that does this. So well, that's convenient. Oh, yeah. We were thinking coming to California. There are places <coughs> that do it out here, but uh, we found a place so close, and they're doing the Brooklyn Academy of Music and some of the big buildings in the city. Has anybody done anything even remotely like this? Well, you'll see theme parks where Mm -hmm. things are, but the glass-reinforced cast concrete will make it enduring. You know, like it'll be, if they don't knock it down with a wrecking ball, it'll be there in a thousand years. That's, the building itself is a tomb. I mean, it's it's made to be... uh, Enduring. That's our mission. So the, the mission is to have this thing survive you. The mission is <laughs> to build an enduring sanctuary of visionary art to uplift a global community. That's our actual mission. Do you guys have a caretaker when you pass? Have you already thought of like when you move on to the next dimension, who's going to take over this thing? It's a church. It's so a church. it became a church in 2008. And so the church, a church is generally uh, run by the, its board and the staff that works there. But, you know, the board of directors are the people that own the church. We actually live there, but our house that we built there will be belong to the church. Everything we're doing there will belong to the church. It's a 40-acre compound, basically, in the Hudson Valley. See. And uh, that's, that's where it's happening. There's 21 people working there now. Wow. I trust you guys with the church. I know. I don't trust a whole lot of people with the church. <laughs> I go, yeah, they're not going to get crazy. But what I would worry about if I was establishing a church is not me. I would worry about what people are going to distort the message afterwards. Oh, yeah. That's always the real issue. The real issue is whenever you have something that you're going to call a church or a religion or you have a sacred area where you take it very, very seriously, you're going to have at least one person who has an elevated profile. You know, there's going to be one person or people who run this thing that other people are going to look at like they're different than us. They are elevated. They are the people that are in charge of this. And when people have that feeling that they feel like they're the elevated one, God, that gets tricky. That's so slippery. It's so hard for people to manage. Here's one of the ways that we try to avoid it, because we never claim to be enlightened ourselves. You know, we're artists. That's why I trust you. Yeah. Well, we're (laughs) we're 
we're creative artists, and like a lot of artists, we feel like when we're really doing our thing, that there's a spiritual element of that, that your creativity and spirituality somehow seem like they're very strongly connected. Mm -hmm. There isn't any mythology about it. You right. know, if we're basically emanations of a cosmos that's creative, then we're little embodiments of creative energy. Hmm. And that creative energy can be used for the positive or the negative in how you – and it comes from the way that you view the world, how you're going to take that. And so as an emanation of creative energy, an artist is just a you know like an obvious symbol of that. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so we see that throughout history that all the religions, whether they agreed or disagreed, all used creative expression to get their message out. And so it's one of the things that unites all the different wisdom traditions and unites a lot of other stuff that's out that would consider itself outside of religion as well. I feel that creativity itself is the original kind of religious impulse, that it's the way of knowing oneself, the way of knowing God. It's a, it's a means of worship. I mean, we look at the, the cave art and you say, you know, they weren't talking about sects or something or disagreeing necessarily as like religious kind of ideas and things like that. They were making a mark of meaning and left behind something that was meaningful to their tribe. Mm. And I think that that's still what we're trying to do. And, you know, I, I think religion, because it scares the shit out of really intelligent people uh, for good reason, because it's such a mess in the world and created such a mess and so much divisiveness, something that's supposed to be about love that's caused, you know, so much heartache and damage. And so... and. What I think is that when I told my friend uh, Robert Jesse um, from the Council on Spiritual Practices, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. You know, he's saying, mm -hmm. eh, you know, Alex, we can't let the fundamentalists own the word religion. Religion's too important a word. And what we need are courageous experiments in religion that could uh, help us to get to the other side of the bell curve, the evolutionary edge. Is there an evolving edge for religion? Could we get post-secular in the world? Can we imagine a world where people have, most of the people of the world have taken a sacrament of one kind or another and have realized that there's an infinite intelligence at the basis of the cosmos? that they are, uh, you know, an expression of. And that, and that life is a divine um, display, a spectacle, you know, that, that God's gone to a lot of trouble to create. And uh, so, you know, from the perspective of uh, today, what, you know, because Toynbee, when he was writing about civilizations, 
talked about, you know, every civilization needs a spiritual core. And as a planetary civilization, you can't have one religion dominate. It's impossible. It's just not, it's not possible. And so how do you unite a world uh, spiritually? Well, my candidate is create the creative arts, you know, that all the world cultures have some means of creative expression. We get to know that culture uh, through their music, through their, you know, painting, sculpture, various kinds of things. And that's how we uh, get to know each other and see our connections, Mm -hmm. you know. And so as a potential... You know, something that's been used by all world religions, you know, and something that as a de facto for the people who don't believe in God anymore, many of them still believe that artists are trying to do something authentic and truthful to their to their inner uh, being. Isn't the word religion fairly loaded, though? And isn't what's important the idea behind what you're trying to do? Right, the idea is that you're trying to make this sacred place. You're trying yeah. to make this amazing place where True. people can go and see expression, and see, you know, the the, the purity of your creative vision. What, why, why connect that to a loaded word? I th- because it's, <clears throat> as uh, Jesse said in my book, I think it's, it's too easy um, to run away from that. It's, uh, it. You know how a, a bad neighborhood gets, you know, and it's just like, oh, my God, there's only criminals that live here. Mm-hmm. And then some artists show up, you know, and they start having their studios and various things like that. And sooner or later, a really beat up neighborhood will start to have some vitality. Cause Cafe cre- moves in. Creative energy. Creative energy starts to infiltrate into destructive energy. What I'm saying is if the artist would move back into the world of religion, we might clean up the neighborhood a little, (laughs) you know, and make it uh, more habitable for people to want to look at their relationship with spirit through even the lens of religion. But why why religion, though? Because religion is associated in most people's minds with deities. Religion is associated in most people's minds with ancient traditions, ancient traditions that oftentimes stifle your behavior, tell you what to do, control you, and offer horrendous consequences for not complying. That's what a lot of people think of when they think of the word religion. So, okay. but, so but, here's, but you here's have the, this thing. But, hold, but let me get to this real quick. Okay. You have this thing, this beautiful thing. Like, why even put a name to it? Why, why label it? And when you're labeling it, you're connecting it with all these other religions that are so problematic, and you're going to have to explain your way out of that. <clears throat> why do that instead of just have this amazing center? Um, because I feel that we're intimately connected with whatever that religious impulse. And if you look at the, what is the primary religious experience? That is a mystical experience. Religio, to reconnect, to connect up, to link back. Is that what the word means? Yes, to relink, to reconnect, to what? The self, 
to God. The self and God are so that, one. That's the actual origin of the word yes. religion, religio? Yes. Is, that, is it a Latin word? Uh, and French, I French. think. And yeah. it's to reconnect. So the yeah. idea being that the, the religion or these churches were set up so that people could reconnect with God. So they go about their day. They, they're filled with troubles and strife and all sorts of stress. And they can go back to the church and they can reconnect with God through religion. Through if, if you go to Egypt or you go to... Uh, you just came back from Venice. Oh, you go to some of these you gorgeous know, cathedrals that are a thousand years old. You go to these pilgrimage places, and there is tremendous power because a lot of people invested a lot of love energy into a center, and they built a shrine to whatever they believed that spirit to be. And that is part of a long tradition of a connectedness with a, you know, their lens into the infinite. You know, whatever religion you're looking through. Iconic, aniconic. Yes, they're a hell of a lot of trouble when you get to the secondary uh, religious, uh, you know, experience, which is everything else that you think about religion the primary religious experience, every religion started with a mystical experience. And people are having those on acid every day now, you know. And so what do you disconnect from that whole tradition where people were connecting to the infinite before? You say, this has nothing to do with that, you know. Or do you say, hey, religion's fucked up, but what if we reimagine it? What if we reimagine God? You know, and can't can't we do it and say this has a lot of a lot going for it, this quest for the infinite absolute mystery that's at the core of our being and the core of the cosmos. This quest to know that it leads to science, it leads to art, it's the it's the quest to know the truth about the nature of reality. And so that quest is another reason why I think that if you harness that to creativity, just artists, artists hate dogma. You you can't have a dogmatic... I, I mean, art, artists always disagree, and you're always going to have new vantage points. You're always going to have one evolving uh, point of view. That's part of the trouble of religion is that they get... You know, this is the right way, and it's only like this. We're not going to look beyond our the boundaries of what, you know, people made up long ago as the way it's supposed to be in another century when, you know, we didn't know any of the stuff that we know now. So that doesn't make sense. So any good religion ought to, their view of reality, at least science ought to be incorporated into it. So you couldn't have a truthful religion without science. So are, are you planning on writing something out, like the tenets of this religion, the ethics of this religion? We have sure. that. Yeah. We actually have liturgy. In order to become a church, you have to submit liturgy to the IRS and the uh, state attorney general. And then we had to Am fight, I familiar fight with, with that our word? town. What's that word? Liturgy? Liturgy, like a like a document, like, uh, you know, like stuff that you use on a regular basis in, in your ceremonies. 
So you have Alex to have Rove, that in order to be recognized when you, when by you the apply IRS. For, you don't oh, have to, but, yes, you do. but it's kind it's of part of the IRS uh, requirement. It's and part the of their question. Do you have a liturgy? Do you have a liturgy? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. you could say no. And I guess still, you're right. Yeah, you probably you could, could probably no. apply and maybe you know. It's all in your head. Relax. It's it's like a a guy has to look over what you're doing and really question it and see if you've thought it out and stuff like that. So Alex published Art Psalms, which was a poetry book, and you've seen Art Mm -hmm. Psalms. So that was really submitted. Yeah, good. That was submitted as as Cosm liturgy. Perfect. Um, Well, that's that's where it gets really fascinating. Is the tax exempt status of religion? Um, Religion is so odd in that way. That worshiping and being in a place where you worship, even if it's very clear that there's a lot of profit being made, you don't have to pay taxes on that. Yeah, I, I just want to tell you this little, just a touch of the history of why we became a church, because it wasn't really ever our intention to become a church. All the way from the beginning, when we, 1985, when we visioned the temple, simultaneously, Alex and I, on our first MDMA uh, journey, Lying on the bed, we both came out of it having visioned this circular uh, building, you know, what temple. Year was this? 1985, we had recently moved to New York together. You guys were doing MDMA back in 1985. It was, it was legal. legal. <laughs> <Pioneer>. <laughs> At the same time. No, it Praise was legal. Jesus. <laughs> but, but we both saw this temple and we knew that this was sort of like our, our, our joint mission. This was the thing we were going to do together. You know, Alex always, we met in art school, so Alex always had his art, and I had my art, and we shared a studio, but this was something we were going to do together, so um, we never thought we would become a church. To, you know, but here we were building this sacred site, and then all through our life together, you know, we uh, started visiting sacred sites, like we just came from St. Mark's in Venice, and we see Chart Cathedral, and, you know, we go there with groups of people, and, you know, like, go on pilgrimage to these sacred, beautiful art places. But anyway, uh, the way we became a church was um, a friend of ours who started Sirius Satellite Network, actually. She's a Martine Rothblatt. But she she loves uh, the work that uh, – she loves Alex's work. She's a collector. She loves the work we're doing, Cosm, with the community and all this. And she said, you know – you're doing everything the churches do. You're doing weddings, baby blessings, and memorials. You have you have a prayer book, you know, basically the art songs. You're doing everything the churches do, and you're not getting any of the benefits of what churches get. Business thinking. No, she's so <laughs> smart, really. And she paid a lawyer. She is the one that funded, our, uh. granted us. You know, getting together with our with our guy who who went we went through the process with us. It took a good long time. You have to basically write a lot of essays, and then they give you more essays. And it's maybe three times through essays, and you write them all, and then you submit the liturgy. And eventually, just at the moment we were moving to the country, it was like the same minute. The church status just magically came in after four years. It was like all like coming together, you know. So as it is, though, we have 40 acres, and then we had to fight with our town over, you know, every church in our town. And there's every there's mosques and Buddhists, you know, stupas and, you know, lots of Catholic and every kind of Protestant. And they were not paying real estate tax. And we have this 40 acres, and they were raising our taxes 15% every year. Meanwhile, we're not making any money. Alex and I are volunteers at COSM, by the way. And so we make nothing. We just give it away. And the whole place we're giving away, it belongs to the community. And the community 
is everybody who's spiritual and creative, but it tends to have a lot of psychedelophiles, people who feel like they've, they've experienced the divine and they want a place to go ahead and talk about it. They wanted this in the city when we were in, in Manhattan for five years. It was just a place where you could go and talk about this because it's legal to talk about it. And we would always have security and make sure there wasn't you know, anything being passed around because we can't get into trouble because we're like really legitimate. We're doing this in a legitimate way. We have to – took us four years to get our permits to do this building. Hold on a second. You, you had security to make sure that people didn't pass drugs around? Well, we can't have yeah. anything <laughs> visible. What you do that is private is your own business. If you can behave yourself, we don't. We, we watch out for you, and we, we right. make no, a nice I, I understand container. That. I understand that, but you had you had a bunch of people actually watching people to make sure that we they always didn't. have security. They're gentle giants. We call them gentle giants. You have to have security when you're having. We have hundreds. We have thousands. Well, like some of our full moons are from hundreds to a thousand people. We have large, and uh, you know, groups full of moons? people. What do you mean by formal? Well, that's what what happened was a shaman told us that uh, we, we, we had this whole idea of this temple we wanted to build, but where's your community? You know, building a temple is the work of a community, he said. So we're going to start full moon ceremonies in your home in Brooklyn. So we did. We started in January of 2003, 164 consecutive full moons ago. We started them in our loft in Brooklyn. And then we went to, we got a place in Manhattan, 12,000 square feet. We did it for five years. Then we found this permanent location in uh, Wappinger, New York. It's in the Hudson Valley, like 65 miles from the city. You can get there on the train. But we found this lovely old retreat center, all kind of imploding. And, you know, and we've been you know, working on it one building at a time. The carriage house, which is turning into Entheon, the first temple of visionary art that we really came there to build, is building four, actually. We have a 10-bedroom Victorian guest house and an uh, office in our studio. So we have, you know, we have six buildings to work on, and we're on building four. But uh, anyway, that's, this is like a little retreat center that we're leaving to our community, our spiritual, creative, cosmonaut yeah. community. It's fascinating that Martine was <clears throat> involved in it because she's also involved in artificial intelligence. I yeah, interviewed yeah. her for the sci-fi show that I did. Did you? Yeah, and she has this robot version of her wife. Bina. Yeah, yeah. and Bina, Bina 48. 48 or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. There. Well, she started a church. She and Bina started a church. Oh, it's called doing the Terrasem Movement. Jim, yes. We need to start a church. You should. <laughs> the the no. Church of Rogan. Very good. Church <laughs> yeah. of Rogan. Roganology. <laughs> Joey Diaz already has a church. We should just join his. Yeah, right. Joey Diaz has the church of what's happening now. Cool. <laughs> oh, there's some great churches out there, really. I just think it's... Th Why should these Catholics get it all? You know what <laughs> I mean? They definitely we should... shouldn't get it all. No, no. I think after you uh, involved in like the 100th child molestation, <laughs> oh, you probably oh, should take ugly. your... Probably take it away. And but that's that's, that's like a super conservative number. That's horrible people. <laughs> isn't that crazy? That isn't religion. Religion doesn't uphold that. That's just... Awful people. Yes, yeah. but awful people all throughout that one religion. I mean, there's got to be some sort of a connection with suppression, suppression of sexuality, suppression of uh, ideology, forcing people to behave in a certain way, and these blowbacks, and the also the fear. I mean, I, I was raised Catholic, 
and I went to Catholic school when I was a, a young kid. And I remember uh, I didn't go to kindergarten. I just went right into first grade. And I remember the fear, the constant fear That's that horrible. they injected in you, this, this idea of what religion is. It was great for me. Because it, it just queered me off religion so young, so early off. I was like, oh, okay, well, this is all nonsense. Because before that, when I was young, my parents were getting divorced. And when my parents were splitting up, um, I was really scared. I was really nervous. And I was young. And there was a lot of violence going around. There was a lot of yelling and screaming. <sighs> and I needed something. And so I remember when I was little, I was always talking about God. And it was just like, well, there's got to be... If all these people around me are out of their mind and everyone's crazy, there's got to be God. So I was actually excited to go to Catholic school. I was excited to go to church. I thought of it as, well, maybe these people, that uh, these relatives and these family members that I live with are all crazy, but there's going to be a place that I can go where I'm going to be able to be loved and it's going to be calm and God has rules and everyone's going to follow them. <laughs> and then I went there and I was like, oh, good Lord. No pun intended. <laughs> this fucking place is worse. I was like, these people are out of their minds. And yeah. my my parents were going to put me in there for second grade. And I literally told them I'd run away from home. I was like, I'm going to find my way out of this. I'm like, I'm not doing this. And mm. I was seven. You know, yeah. I was like, this is not happening. Yeah. Well, you had already become rational. At seven. Yeah. You knew what was well, you, right you, and what was you not You knew right. what was bullshit. You had a bullshit detector mm. that was always acutely attuned well that's one good thing about growing up in um a really fucked up household is that like you you you're you're you have a constant sense of danger because you're around danger all the time so you don't get to sleep cuddly you don't get to like rest calm and you 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 have an acute awareness of all the possibilities wow so i mean ultimately that was a great thing for me i can i can really see how that it heightened your ability to also to always uh, maintain a mindfulness yes. for, that's that's over everything. It's what a, probably allows you to do so many things. It's also there's you know there's a, a, always a balance between mindfulness and paranoia. You don't want to be that guy that carries a gun to the bathroom. You know there's I know a lot of people that have surpassed this uh, awareness and gone into this like acute paranoia. I have this statement that I've been saying a lot lately, but I think it's important to bring up. I don't think human beings are designed to take in the bad news of 7 billion people. I just don't think – I think the numbers that we deal with on a daily basis with all the different stories of the world, they are too much for us to handle. It's not how – you're supposed to deal with what's going on in your community with uh, a watchful eye on the rest of the world. You shouldn't be deeply engrossed in all of the most disgusting aspects of the rest of the world 24 hours a day. And I think that's one of the real problematic issues of our time with social media and with uh, the news that people have this distorted sense of what the world is. They think this world is just filled with violence and horror. No, the world is fine. It just occasionally has violence and horror. There's just so many people. And the world is so big that if you look at all those people and this giant globe that we're on, then you can kind of get a sense that the sky is falling. But, you know. <laughs> But if you go outside right now in Woodland Hills, it's beautiful. Birds news are chirping. is the bad news. It's, nice. 
It's always the worst thing <laughs> happening in every area. Sometimes it's not, but it's so rare. It's like occasionally they give you some good food when they're feeding you poison and you're about to die. They slip you, That's you know, nice a piece guy. of fruit. Yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I just don't think it's good for us. No. I, I don't think it is, and I think that's the same thing with someone who grows up in a bad environment. Yeah. I think you could you could get a distorted perception of what the world is and think that that the bad environment that you're currently in is the entire world, and it can shape your perceptions and your interactions, and therefore shape how you react to other people and shape your actual reality. You know, it's one of the things that I've truly tried to impart upon people that I've learned. So I believe that how you treat people and your interactions with people literally change your reality. And this is from mistakes that I've made, and this is from positive um, decisions that I've made. Because I think that when you look at life in a positive way and you try to treat people kind and you try to be nice to people and you try to move forward with that, the people that you interact with, they will get that. They will most likely respond more kindly to you. And the world changes. The world totally. literally changes in front of you. It's billiard balls. Yeah. You know, of of kind acts, mm-hmm. you know, that could be sending waves. A smile could actually prevent somebody from committing suicide. If that's all it takes, maybe you should just go ahead and end it. <laughs> well, I heard from look. I heard from you know some from some kids who are like really desperate. Am yeah. I going to jump or am I not? Right. And some stranger looked at me and smiled. Yeah, that's and that stopped me from doing it. What stopped you, Alex? What stopped me? Acid stopped me from from killing myself. You know, that cause, can do it because for me. I wondered whether God exists, just like mm-hmm. your question when you were seven. You were hoping that there was something that was not, uh, you know, th- that there was a center of peace somewhere, I guess. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know that I would ever call God a center of peace. You know, I would say that that's one aspect of the entire, you know, meat storm of being alive. I love that you word. Know, but meat storm. <laughs> what a I great know. expression. <laughs> the meat storm. You should make a t-shirt. <laughs> it just says meat storm. Yeah. Love, that's a great band. Yeah. That'd be a radical band. Hudson yeah. Valley meat storm. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. We have a grinder attached to an industrial fan, folks. I wouldn't think about it that way. I was thinking about a bunch of people just jumping around getting crazy. There you go. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. What a great word. Well, I thought of that when I saw The Last Judgment by Michelangelo. Speaking Mm. of Catholics. Mm. So you gotta look at the the good things. Right. Like like even though probably some really terrible stuff happened in those hallowed halls of the Vatican. But again... Some really awesome art yeah. was there. Yeah. It's <laughs> amazing to and go uh, there. Have you yeah. ever seen the Sistine Chapel? Oh, no, man. I'm actually going there this summer. We spent yeah. an entire day from 9 until 5. We got there at the front of the line and got in. Got, ran. Got a seat. We ran. All the way. Ran all the way there. You got to run all the way through the Vatican. <laughs> We've been there. Well, to get to, to... No, you don't want to, to get do that to the, the Sistine. Time, no. Yeah, you do. Why do you want to run? Well, well, we wanted to get to the Sistine trip Chapel. In the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> oh, so you got to take it and then get there in time when it kicks in. 
And then you're there, we were there all day from 9 to 5 drawing. We just sat. We got a seat. And we were just drawing all day. And our focus, it was just unbelievable. And the drawings came out really amazing, too. Yeah. And, uh, Some of them are you guys, art But songs. we had been to Vatican before, I have to say. So when you go to the Vatican for the first time, you have to walk through so you can see all the amazingness yeah, on the way cool. there. Because the Sistine Chapel is at the end of the mm. tour. You know, you go out there and then afterwards you come back. So, so you, you know, on the way you want to take a look. But we had already done that. So we were like made a decision this was our day yeah, to yeah. draw michelangelo's my Chapel. the man you know yeah. so i got it you know that i just that was all i wanted to see anyway so mm. everything else is just a blur and then you get to the sistine chapel and it then, is quite fascinating that you're looking at the work of someone who lived hundreds of years ago. 500 years ago amazing and he didn't like everything that catholics did by the way he nobody didn't, does well, he didn't, but he did like being Catholic. Mm-hmm. Okay, he he really did. He wrote about it and was very eloquent, and he loved being Catholic. But he didn't like the Pope telling him to paint the Sistine Chapel, for instance. Look at that! God. Yeah, look at that! How long did it take for him to do that? I don't know. Years and years. The Last Judgment is the one that was, I guess, I've always called <sighs> my favorite painting of all time. That's the meat storm. Um, God. It's like. You know, and there were no clothed um, uh, figures on that. They Michelangelo was still alive when they got um, a uh, what they called a, a. He was a he was a good fresco painter, but he became basically Michelangelo's breeches painter. You know, he was always thought of as the one who added. You know, clothing and drapery over the genitalia that mm-hmm. that Michelangelo had painted. He loved the body, and he uh, made what I would call an anthropocosm out of it, a kind of a temple of humanity, and it was very much about the nobility uh, and connected with the Greek idealist tradition. The Greek idealist tradition is a psychedelic tradition from the Neoplatonic and the Platonic, you know, Socrates mm-hmm. and all the rest. So uh, that wave was just getting... Uh, he he was there when they dug up the Lao Kun, you know, that Greek sculpture with the snakes and, and the uh, crazy stuff that it really deeply influenced him. Mm. And, I just wanted to say that the purity of the religion, the place where it, it, it's really true, you know, like that beautiful, you know, what, what it actually means at the, at the core, at the heart core of any religion, is expressed through the art of that religion. So, you know, the other stuff is crap, you know what I mean? With the way people <laughs> act towards each other and stuff, that's their own deficits and their wow. own obstacles coming out, you know, all over the place. Even the popes that have been horrible and allowed... You know, uh, you know, child molestation to perpetrate. Right, Those people yeah. are sick people. That has nothing. They don't represent the purity of the religion, well, which is, is the represented in the art. The, but what is that? What is the purity of the religion? And doesn't well, it vary? It's, it's depending upon the, the individual. And why does it? Why is that? I don't the purity think it of the religion that. What you're seeing is the purity of one man's expression, his yes. his view, his beautiful view of the world that we're so fortunate to be able to still look at True. 500 years later. Yeah. What does that have to do with Catholicism? I think that because he was part of uh, that tradition and he was marrying the ideas of mm. uh, the Greek ideal 
and the uh, and the Neoplatonic, uh, which was all about universality. You know, it was really more about it, they, as much as were saying, you know, all religions are connected and are basically talking about the the one spirit that moves through all of us. You can call it creative spirit. I, I'd prefer to call it something like that rather than uh, some of the names that get so heavily uh, weighted. But I'm comfortable with the word God. To me, God means just ultimate mystery. Yeah, we discussed this a couple times <clears throat> on previous podcasts, yeah. the, the, how weighted that word is. It is. One of the things that I think is amazing about the Sistine Chapel, when you're looking at the two fingers touching, when you're mm-hmm. looking at all these beautiful images, is those images, they become what people think of when they think of God and they think of religion. Those images they it almost like it takes a form on yeah and in taking on that form it gives you a structure to house the ideas and the ideals of these religions like in seeing something a visual representation it it becomes a real thing in that it's an idea that's an idea that becomes embodied by that art I grew up in the Jewish tradition, which is a non-iconic tradition, and you, you know, this is uh, the Christian tradition. Really, is a is a story of a person. They were born, they taught, they they healed, they died, they rose, and in the Jewish tradition, there's it's an, uh, non-embodied. So I, you know, I resonated with that when I first saw God in LSD. And it was really not a person's face at all, but I recognize that this is what people are talking about when they're talking about God, which is this energy that's you know interconnects everything. You know, it's like the force more than a face. Mm-hmm. So, but that was my experience of God, and I and 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 in that experience when I was twenty, I recognized this is what people are talking about when they say God. It's not physical. Yeah. Energetic. Yeah. And what I'm just saying is that in this guy creating these iconic works, yes. he gives it a structure. Yes. He gives it like a scaffolding. Mm-hmm. And in that scaffolding of these beautiful paintings, you can kind of like form your own categories and have your own like chapters in your mind that exist. That it's almost, it's almost like makes those things real. Whether or not they ever were real, whether or not there ever were angels on clouds, it's almost inconsequential. Because the the result of it is kind of the same. If you believe that it's real, if you believe, and this is where religion gets so fucking squirrely. I know. Because are you saying that Adam and Eve were the only two people in the world, and everybody came from them? No, absolutely not. Are you saying that there was a snake, and he told Eve to? No, 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 no. No. But if you operate your life as if those things were reality, and if you operate your life under the ideals that are transcribed and described in these beautiful paintings it will become a real past in the sense that it will have a real meaning to you it gets real weird in that way and that's where i think weird art in general and your art is particularly important because the things that you paint you can actually see i've seen a lot of the things that you paint maybe not specifically but one of the things that i remember uh, when I was first introduced to some of your art, I I, um, I saw I forget which one it was. I forget what I mean, I've seen so many of your pieces, but I, re- I remember going, "Oh, this guy's seen it." 
like 100%. You've been there. Like I, when I thought of tryptamine experiences and I saw your art, I was like, oh, this guy, he's, he nailed it. I mean, some people have come kind of close. They've kind of – but even though what you're showing – it doesn't exist in a static form in the tryptamine dimension. Like, there's no way you can take a, a you know, how you, you take your phone and you take a screenshot. And you get, don't you want to? Yeah. When you're in there, don't you want to press that button and say, gotta save that. No, that's too good. No, can I just press the movie? Yeah. How can I capture this? Well, the problem also is it changes every fraction of a second. Exactly. The, the, the beautiful thing about the tryptamine experiences is that whatever visual you're experiencing right now will morph into something else. And it was one of the most important lessons that I ever learned while tripping was um, in a DMT experience, I had a bunch of negative thoughts. I don't remember what they were about, but I remember the visions that I was having turned dark and like like a dark green and black and twisted, like they were contorted and compressed, like a, a visual representation of negative thinking. And then I realized that these, whatever these things are, entities, thoughts, whatever they were, trying to express to me the actual negative consequences of thinking like that, that it showed me in a visual form. And then I relaxed and thought positive, and it literally bloomed in front of me like a flower, and then changed into this wildly beautiful geometric pattern that was like dancing in front of me and i realized like at that moment like I'm, i i realized to myself i said i have to remember this i have to remember this and i have to figure out how to express this because this is a an incredible realization that it's not th this like abstract idea that oh you think negative and negative things happen you think positive no you're literally manifesting energy you're manifesting a certain kind of energy with negative thinking it's one of the reasons why we like getting away from negative people. When someone's like really negative and complaining and whining, you're just like, oh, Jesus, I've got to get out of here. You're like, you really feel like they're going to suck me into their vortex. I've got I've to escape. Yeah. There's, there is, um, let's see, you could think of it like an amoeba around your physical body, a mm. cloud of um, pulsating thought forms. Mm. And... Uh, as you're imagining, uh, you know, a <laughs> the beautiful elements of life and things, it's it seems to be in a kind of order and uh, and maybe kind of wafting upward. It, these are like uh, the the spiritual positive uh, kind of frameworks sometimes that you're seeing life through when you're tripping. You know, and seeing the connections between things, lines forming, and things like that—the the more kind of organic geometries that that show up—you see this intelligence of life and the uh, the the light of divine intelligence that came through for Allison, like uh, in this language. It it seems to be weaving things together, and when you're in touch with that infinite uh, light that seems to be the source. Uh, then that is – you can keep it upwardly moving and very evolutionarily, co cosmically, consciously uh, moving forward. And when then you're thinking regretful thoughts or thinking negative thoughts and anger and things like that, there's a constriction that goes on in your heart 
I think, mm. and kind of shuts things down. And that kind of, like you were saying, twisting in and curling in and, and darkening and, and things are, are all uh, things that when you're journeying, you see them manifest literally in your the flow of your the theater of your imagination, and so I think you really beautifully describe that. Uh, just in that, I was totally there. I think it's a disease of consciousness. <clears throat> I think it's very similar to catching a cold. Mm-hmm. That you know, uh, you don't see the cold. You don't see a disease. You mm-hmm. don't see it, but it affects you. Yes. And I think that there's a, an analogy to be made about diseases of consciousness that you can get locked into these terrible ways of looking at the world. And I think that's one of the most important things about what you're trying to do in terms of building a community, that if you can build a community and build uh, like a conscious ideology that that is sort of uh, prescribed to people and establish a, a very positive and loving environment, you can spread that like you can spread a disease. You know, or I mean, for no better word, a lo- a lo- seeds of love, or whatever, whatever you would call it. I mean, you could do it the wrong way. You know, you could do it what the Nazis did, and do what Genghis Khan did, and do what some horrible people throughout history have done. But they're similar things in a lot of ways, because they're diseases of ideas, they're diseases of consciousness. Or you could do it the right way, or a good way, or a beneficial way, or a positive way. And it seems like throughout history. We almost have to see those negative ones to learn the consequences of, of letting these things happen. I mean, it's one of the reasons why Germany won't let in the Scientologists. They're like, hey, we've seen what happens when cults take over, okay? We've got a deep history with fucked up group thinking. So let's just not let you guys in. Right. And it's what we were talking about before the podcast. We were talking about Trump and what's going on in this country right now. And I was saying that I think it's probably a good idea to to have this moment where we realize, like, oh, we really have to pay attention. Like, we we can't just sit back and not participate anymore mm-hmm. because look what's happened. Yeah. It's a mockery. The whole system has, like, been exposed by this one guy as being a joke. And it's always been a joke. It's just been a joke that we've accepted. You know, and we were talking about Hillary and all the criminal investigations that she's under and that somehow or another, this one person who we know is insincere is a better option than this other person who we know is a jerk off. Like, wh- wh- where's the right and where's the wrong? We, I don't know. It's rarely know. been an election where that isn't true. I thought Obama <clears throat> was a pretty clear choice and there was a lot of celebrating afterwards. But, of course, then he disappointed people like he s- predicted he would at his inauguration. He said, I'm, I'm not going to make everybody happy and you're not going to always be happy with me. He, he, he predicted that and he came through with that. But I remember all the elections of my life. It was like, Ugh. you know, I mean, I always voted. For the least worse person, you mm-hmm. know what I mean. I mean, I think Al Gore was 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 up there. He was really good, and I, you know, and I, and I he actually him. won. Yeah, and he actually won. <laughs> you know, you know was, that, was that's coup that's where the uh, the coup took yeah, place, yeah. right there, where corporate America took over. Mm. Yeah, it really did. I mean, that's well, it's also where the, the system that we're voting under is exposed. Yeah. Like they're still using pieces of paper. And then also the, the – did you ever see Hacking Democracy, the HBO, HBO documentary <clears throat> on the Diebold systems? 
Oh, oh my God. T-Bone, yeah. Alex's brother was a vice president there. He brother? used to work there. He but used he, to. He Not left anymore. there before they, uh, uh, before they were making voting machines. Mm. Whoa. Yeah, yeah they yeah. actually changed their name after that documentary. Is that right? Yeah. Well, they, they established a voting machine where you could... I, I recommend everybody watch Hacking Democracy. I think it was from... I want to say 2007 or something like that. Yeah. But it was a documentary where they exposed that these voting machines, not only can they be manipulated, they were designed to be manipulated. They were designed to have a third party entrance, like a third party could enter in data. And yeah. it's just madness that those machines are how our election got decided. And, you know, they've, since then cleaned it up and in some way but still it's a dirty system yeah doesn't it seem like we could actually have some encryption mm -hmm. uh that w each voter could vote online exactly and do it in a minute sure and uh and we'd know here's a perfect example banking yeah. everyone banks online who, who doesn't bank online who doesn't buy things online Tr credit card transactions the people are like whoa it gets hacked how often how often how many people how okay? What percentage of it is it enough to shift an election? I would say it's probably not. I would say it's not. I would say it, if you could make banking secure, you can make voting secure. Really? Right. And the phone—they couldn't even yeah. get into that guy's phone. Yeah. You know, they, you can do this, mm -hmm. and so they should do it. Well, representative government is not necessary anymore. We can communicate instantaneously with people all throughout the world. We're not talking about sending a raven. You know, this isn't, you know, the 1300s. This is, this is an interesting time, and we're not taking advantage of the resources that are available to us as far as representing the actual people. But I think there's also a problem with that, too, is there's a lot of people that are just completely uneducated, uninterested, slovenly lazy people, and we have to energize those people. We have to reinvigorate their ideas of participation and of community, and you have to say, like, look, you can't just sit on your couch and eat Twinkies and watch Beverly Hills Housewives. You can't do that anymore. Because if you do, you're not allowed to complain about the world being fucked up because you're a part of the world being fucked up. And I think until we can energize people, until we can give people this sense that they actually can participate, and it is just a bunch of human beings that are trying to figure out the right and the wrong way to do things. I think there's a lot of that going on right now. I think there's this ebb and flow of social media and positive aspects of it and negative aspects of it but ultimately i think a lot of that is just us learning to navigate the landscape this new landscape this digital interconnected landscape that's unprecedented in human history unprecedented we don't i don't think we can understand it because we're a part of it i mean i think we can sort of we're talking about it right but i don't think if we look back in history and they a thousand years from now, look at this day, the way we're looking at Michelangelo or Leonardo da Vinci or Genghis Khan or anyone. You look back and you go, wow, what a crazy time. That's nothing compared to today. Today is the craziest time ever. The emergence of artificial intelligence, the emergence of a very bizarre method of communication where you can instantaneously reach people on the entire planet, where data is shared like that well, amongst hundreds of millions of people instantly it's a new world it's a fucking crazy new world it's a birth it is literally like a birth it's like a, an, an organism coming out of an egg and poking its head out and right now the shells being chipped and the heads popping up but this fucking thing's gonna emerge and it's gonna fly well Teilhard de chardin talked about the noosphere 
you know, about the thinking layer of uh, the earth, you know. And that's really what enabled, I mean, you talked about it in the mid-20th century. And uh, so this thinking layer, uh, thinking atmosphere that's around the earth now through satellites, through all of the uh, interactive technology that we're currently speaking on, you know, is a new body for the uh, soul of humanity. You know, this is now uh, what we're what we're working on now is the theosphere. <laughs> you know, that's what we've got to tap and access. Now we have uh, connectedness with each other. Yeah. Now, as a symbol, that should really clue us into something important. If we look at other nature systems like uh, the mycelial intelligence that weaves the woods together and that weaves our entire soil and makes it alive, really. Uh, These are spores uh, connected by fibers, and that's what we are. Well, if you can't explain what's going on in the Pacific Northwest in regards to that, like how enormous the actual individual organism of mycelial connection is in the Pacific Northwest – it's essentially like someone described it. It might have been McKenna as like a thousand gray whales. Like that's how big this organism is. And it's essentially one interconnected mushroom. Yeah. Like, whoa. Yeah. Exactly. Like, the biggest the being that's on earth. Out. The biggest being on earth is a mushroom. It's, exactly. Well, it's the oldest beings yeah. as well. Yes. You know, we're more like mushrooms than any other plant. Yes. Yes. They they actually breathe in oxygen and breathe out carbon dioxide like people. You know, I've been incredibly fascinated over the last few months with plant intelligence and with plant communication and yeah. calculations. And this idea that plants have some sort of a consciousness. And one of the things that I've been tripping out about is acacia trees where if uh, an animal eats them and the wind carries the scent of the acacia tree being consumed, the bushes and trees downwind smell it and become bitter so that it discourages predation. And animals were starving. The downwind animals were starving because they wouldn't eat the bushes from the trees that had taken the scent of the trees that were up north. I mean, it's madness. Mm. They, they're literally sending out a signal to the other plants. Hey, hit the alarm. We're getting eaten. Oh right. My God. right. They're communicating with each Absolutely. other. Absolutely. It's the underground and overground uh, network of plant intelligence. Yes. So I think of basically the festival culture as being mushrooms that are growing out of the underground intelligence. Like raves and stuff like that? Exactly. Those are the little fruiting bodies. Not Coachella, though. Right? <laughs> no, prob- I don't know what kind of a mushroom that is. What about South is. by Southwest? Burning Man. Burning Man. Burning Man. We're going to be at Burning Man this summer. I just want to tell everybody out there, come and be part of the Dr. Bronner Foam Dome Camp and get yourself <laughs> sprayed with foam and see us do- paint our mural. So. Dr. Bronner, that uh, Dr. Hemp, Bronner. Soap. Yeah. hemp soap. We're going to be yeah. in the MAPS Bronner Camp. The Ma- MAPS is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, many of us know. Yeah. And they have the Zen 
window where people go when they need some help. And then there's also... What? Wait a minute. What's that mean? The Zendo. That's where, you know, the rangers, when they go around and they find people who are, tripping are having out. a bad time. Mm-hmm. They go to the Zendo man. and they, they take care of them. They're, they're, they're helped. They but, call it the Zendo? Oh, yeah. We, ha- we have a, a Zendo at Cosmo. It's, well, it's a, it's for it's a place chill. for meditating and right. to okay. chill out, to get away from the frenetic energy and just... Have oh, a place okay. of peace. Is this it? This is the Zendo. Yeah, yeah this the is Zendo from Burning from Man. Maps. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. know that smells like feet. We're, <laughs> right? we're, it's really beautiful, and it it sounds strange, but it's made out of wood and uh, bamboo and cardboard. So, and how things. do they construct that out in the middle of the? They Burning bring it in pieces and, and, and put it up, put it up. It. Like and they do long? everything else there. Wow. How long does it take to put that together? People come in like a week or two ahead of time, depending on how complex your your put together is. But we did a dome in 2006 with MAPS and um, Matt Atwood, who did the infrastructure. And uh, it was called the Entheon Village. And it was Entheon Village for years. Alex named it. So now we have Entheon growing in in Cosm, but it used to be uh, at at Burning Man. But anyway, it's – do you go – no, I don't go. You don't go. I can't be around that many hippies. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's all kinds of people, but it is the freest place on earth. It's um, certainly infested with hippies, though. Let's be honest with ourselves. Well, now, okay, it's infested <laughs> with people who are <laughs> using sacrament. I, 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 I want to take objection for a moment and speak for the hippies uh, because because I think that this is like one of the last places where it's okay. You know, like it's no longer okay to say nigger or queer. Okay. Yeah, or you know, to it, well, unless you're, you're of, in, that, of that, of that, right, right? You know, so if you're a hippie, maybe you could call another hippie a dirty hippie. Yeah, but, but I'm kind of a hippie. Okay, are you? Uh, yeah. Okay. What this other? Giving out hugs. I'm, I'm essentially a weird version of a hippie, <laughs> but I don't fit into the mold because I'm also a cage fighting commentator. So very- I like the diversity. And, and, you know, the Burning Man used to have the uh, genital portrait stu- studio and the... Uh, genital portrait studio where you pose? Thunderdome. Thunderdome. Thunder- they ha- you would love Thunderdome. You say this like I should know. Fuck. <laughs> you should they go- had a, they had Burning a shooting Man. range. They yeah, had a, the like, drive-by drive shooting, shooting range. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Guns? You shoot guns oh, at Burning Man? used to be. Oh, they have open bars there, and what they're is- giving it all away. The thing about Burning Man is it's a gift economy, so it's an experiment in gift economy. You're not... Once you get in, and it costs something to get in, of course, but once you get in, it's like, you know, you don't take your wallet out. You can't pay for anything, and there's no bartering. It's only gifting, and people give it away. Are these Every, guys fighting with yeah, sticks? Yeah. yeah. There's the Thunderdome. They're bashing down. each other. They're like Nerf sticks. They don't really hurt mm, each other, but they, but they knock they them. They try hurt. to knock them off of their <clears throat> perch there. All the, they're swinging. On those ropes oh, okay. in that dome. It's a dome frame. Okay. Anyway, it, there's all kinds. There's 80,000 people there. It's the best, <laughs> biggest, most amazing environment. It's like being on the moon. It's like, not, it's like being nowhere else on Earth. You have to always carry your, ma- your dust mask and your goggles and your hair covering and your camelback. It's so drying that you have to be drinking like a g- couple of gallons a day, you know, just to you know, there's no insects there. There is not a blade of any kind of life there. It's like walking on the moon, seriously. Mm. Except you can breathe, but you have to have a face mask. Because the dust storms just come up at every moment. It's Has scary. anyone done a documentary on it? Oh, oh many, yeah. many. Many? Really? Oh, over so, the years? So sure. when you're there, there's dudes sticking cameras in your face. Isn't that sort of... No, the- you have to have permission. Everything is very regulated now. And I understand they're buying land. 
So I'm hoping they'll have some yeah, because they've been. <laughs> You have to have some infrastructure. <laughs> the way you said that, like somebody offered you a, a beautiful cake. They're buying land. Well, buying yeah. land like, is good for cake. our community. Hey. We should own our own places of of attraction because that is the way you gain Hippies. transformational power. Power to transform. You basically have a land, place. a place. How, yeah. right. how do you, and you mainstream this culture? Mm-hmm. Well, look at how this. The way it's structured. Isn't that beautiful? That's really cool. That it really is beautiful. Way. The center part is called the playa, and it's about nine feet across from, from end to end, like the nine big circle, the biggest. Miles. Nine miles. Feet, nine feet. Nine miles across. And you can walk the whole way. A lot of people have art cars. That's nine miles? Well, from, from edge to edge. That's incredible. Outer edge. It's mammoth. And the, good the run. Man 60, is in the thousand people. It's good run, Jamie. Sixty to eighty, <laughs> and it's sixty and to it's eighty thousand. And everybody people. takes care of each other. You have to have your own food. You you got to come in there with water, food, and everything. And you're not allowed to pour or drop anything on the ground. If you if you have and they have full showers. Broader camp is you know you get foamed. You know they have a big foam dome. Mm-hmm. So but you gotta collect all that water. Right. And they collect them in these great big uh, gray water tankers and take them away and bring in fresh water. It's like they're practicing setting up a village in 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 like of the apocalypse. I'm telling you, this is the practice. Refugee for that. ready. Yeah. These they, people can go in and in a week or two. I mean, the, the, the <laughs> government, I mean, the army went in there to study this because they can do this in a couple of weeks. They put it all together. Wow. So it's very much apocalyptic uh, preparation. You, you would, I think you would get a great benefit uh, oh. from seeing it. And, uh, <laughs> I think I'd get material out of it. You could. Oh, you totally. should. Come be with our <laughs> camp. You know, what is it? What, that, what done does it, it take is the, It is the week that leads to Labor Day. Weekend, What's so that? that's that. like the first weekend of this. The first Early Monday September. of the first Monday of Late September August. is Labor Day. Oh, okay. So it's the weekend uh, before the Monday of Labor Day, and they have the Temple Burn is on Saturday night. It's Sunday. And, I mean, it's Sunday night, and the man is burned on Saturday night. So when the man is burned, you know, hundred. 800,000, no, 80,000 people come together to see it. It's like everybody comes in a big circle around the man. Where's the man? There he is. I think I'd be like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. And you know what? (laughs) They have a thousand fire spinners around the man. You You have to audition. To be a fire spinner around the man, but they have about a thousand of them, and they're wow. they're spinning whips, my friend Joe. They're spinning mm. swords and poi and and all kinds of hula hoops are are on fire. It's the most amazing thing. And you go there on your art car. You're not allowed to go in the playa at all unless your car is approved as an art car. That means it has to be show some art cars. Art cars. <laughs> art cars are incredible. They've got big ships like rolling along. The playa, you know, they have mm. gigantic three-story structures that move. So they have to, to kind to, of be enhancing the environment. They do, and they have to be. Oh, look at that thing! They have to be art, and the reason why they even do them at all in one big way is so that you can get on the top of them so that you can see over everybody else when you go to see the man and you can see all these fire spinners that are all around this you want to be up high Jimmy, so your go back party, to the dinosaur your party your party is up there it's all you got your own dj seriously this this car hey, has got its own dj car, the mayan warrior the mayan warrior alex painted it yeah. and we're going to be on the mayan warrior this year yeah. So you take so this thing out back with you? How does that work? Yes, they, p- 
people pay year round to park it? these things in in Gurlach, yeah. you know, and outside Gurlach is the non town. It's like this town that grew up around Burning Man. They have like one store, you know. It's like you drive into this moon like planet. This this place is where wallboard is made. Okay, so if you peeled off the Gypsum. paper, mm-hmm. that's what the playa is like, and it's like a skin. You're not allowed to drop peanut shells or anything on the ground, and you have to collect everything. So it's extremely eco, and you you learn about saving water. You can't believe how much you try to, you know, save water. I love the Mayan. That's beautiful. Yeah. There's Your the Mayan car is beautiful. Isn't and it beautiful? what did you what did you use to illuminate it with? There is. <clears throat> there's all the painting is the oxygen. Well, just yeah, click click on one. Stick on it. Stop flipping around. Just go to one. Well, that what, will show the mask painting area that I did. What? And they put neon all over yeah. the course. Yeah, well, how do you power that thing? <laughs> <laughs> they do it. They do it. They all do it. They all have to have light on it. Power. You can't even have a bicycle on the playa without yeah. LEDs on but what it. But is, what is illuminating this? I mean, this is uh, for LEDs. people who LEDs. are okay, for people and, uh, listening alone. This thing is filled with beautiful lights and um, this the flower of life is in one of them, and what are the other ones? The the, the blue ones above the flower of life. There's more flower, more of flower of life. But also notice that there's a second story, and if you scroll down a little bit, second you'll see story. there's a third story. See those people up there? DJs. That's royalty. Those yeah. are the DJs and the royalty up royalty? there. Royalty? I'm just joking, but really, it's like you know the people who own the Mine Warrior are up there, and they're they best friends. It. Oh, I thought it was yours. Our friends. No. Oh, no, no. no, no Alex no. painted it. It was oh. a commission. Yeah. Oh, I, so somebody owned afford it. it. <laughs> they, listen to this. They brought it from Mexico City on its own trailer. They drove it from Mexico City to Cosm. I would have thought there was a Trojan horse filled Mexicans. <laughs> I'm serious. If I was in border, the border patrol, I'd be like, everybody out. Get out and, of there. Well, it was You're all enclosed in this trail. It was enclosed in the trail. Oh, yeah, definitely enclosed. <laughs> <laughs> Don't and worry, we looked. There's no Mexicans in here sneaking across the border. And well, Aztec friends, warrior Trojan horse. Alex's collectors <clears throat> are probably, you know, the most, wow. you know, the most well meaning. You know, they have the most means of all Mexicans. I would say. What are those uh, stacks? The stack things. There's two stacks. Yeah, it looks like cinder speakers. blocks. Those are speakers. speakers. Oh Jesus Christ! You're gonna go yeah. deaf. It's, it's a disco. You're all basically. gonna go deaf. You bring yeah. your own DJ, baby. <laughs> what if the movie? What if the music's annoying? What kind of music are you playing? Oh, <laughs> only cool, only cool shit <laughs> like for what? sure. We go to their know. party. See, these are people that produce our events in Mexico City, mm-hmm. and they sponsor us going down there and doing you know like four events for a visit, and we've done it a few times. So they'll do a workshop. They'll do a day lecture you know uh-huh. they'll do a and then they'll do an evening event and the evening event is an electronic dance music party at a big at a big place you know and wow. we're on stage painting so these are producers but they produce for bigger names than us i mean way bigger but we do our yeah. our, our thing down there and too. so you've got a bunch of bikes behind it as well is that what that is or is oh, that people yeah. parking their bikes that's probably that people parking, parking their bikes. you know they come up they Hey, can we come up and have a ride and Annoying. stuff? And so you need they, a you need a bike too, though. You got to have one of these and a bike. Yeah. Some people have motor. Well, they have to have a. a well, I don't know. Can when people like, find you out there, moped. though, don't they give you ear beatings? Don't they find you and then go, Alex Gray? You have your tell goggles. You, no, your goggles, oh, you your mask, your hair covered. Oh, you're hiding. You yeah. are completely you're enclosed. You're pretty much. Do you want to do it's, that? Go, it's don't hard. you want to be open? Why do you want to hide? Well, we go in and we we we, we paint our mural. That's when we see. Well, be oh, that's our there. station. You can always yeah. come and find us at the Foam Dome 
at our 32-foot mural that we'll be painting. For the the whole idea time. of wandering around with a gas mask on and goggles and headdress in the middle of a gypsum forest. Like, it's amazing. It sounds so ridiculous. Look at this well, guy. Okay. That, that guy's it, got look it at down. Him. They, like really, they dress up. That guy it, owes rent for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these people are Holy extremely crap. wealthy. Look at Bronner. A few. These people, no, tons. This is very. This is the. I would say the highest that end festival I've ever been to. That guy's definitely broke, guaranteed. Are you kidding me? You know how much that costume costs? You must be exactly. He saved up all year, and now he's mm. empty. Look at that guy. It looks like the alien that they found when in the movie Alien, the guy that's uh, in the chair. Totally. Guy from Google comes to this. Guy oh, the from guy from Google. Who's that? Young people, <laughs> the, this, the children of the inventors. You, know? you sound like a spokesperson for I this. I love it. Now, those, I don't go every year either. We've only been, this will be our fifth time. Jamie, go back to that one. The girl that's got that blue one above there, the blue light one. That seems like some industrial strength gas mask type shit. You don't yeah. have to have a gas mask. <clears throat> you have like to have, you have a particle mask. What about because your Because it's eyes? dust. Yeah. You have to so have you goggles. goggles. You have to have goggles. Yeah, you, you, get, you, know, you get kind of it's swim, better if swim you do. goggles. I, I sense your enthusiasm. I appreciate it, but <laughs> fuck that place. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. I have had a good time there. We I'm wish sure there when Zeno was 14. It was the first time we went. We were invited. Every time we've gone, somebody's brought us. I'm Zena, just your daughter? Zena's our daughter. She, she lives in Hollywood. Yeah. Will Smith? But she, was, she was 14, and we were there. Will Smith goes to Burning Man. Who knows? A lot, of, Man. a lot of freaks who use we've it like uh, Mecca. You go mm. once. It's a Hajj, you right. know, if you're a freak. Mm. So. Oh, definitely well, you don't go to the Hajj mm. every year. No. We've been five times. Uh, it seems d- like this is a great idea in a shitty spot, and this could be recreated somewhere habitable. How about that? No, There's it's, a lot it's of perfect sp- in so <laughs> many possible. ways. You've got here's, experience. here's the reason. It's, these are, it's an art. Festival, mm, that's what it and is. so mm-hmm. they make a sculpture and they put it on the bare ground. It's like going into a white gallery. You right. know, it's like going into a like a whiteout, and then you put an object there. And frankly, you've got a lot of space around it, okay. so yeah, so at, you can at, really look, look at, at amazing Man's sculpture. sculptures. You it's see all Burning about Man's sculpture. It's about seeing the the art. Mm. That's so good. so you know, it's not for everybody. It's inhospitable. At all, but I think that it's an extraordinary. Uh, Outgrowth of psychedelic visionary culture. I'm totally joking around, obviously, yeah, I'm, when I'm mocking it, but that's my nature. Now look at this, yeah. Alex. Look fire. at this guy. I know. I've seen fire before. And yeah. you know, we we were do- we we have a sculpture at Cosm that was on the playa. It's a two story sculpture at, at Cosm, and we're we're getting another one. People, do- they don't know what to fire? do with them afterwards. They want some place to put them. Well, Cosm has forty acres, so we're going to end up with probably more. So they're going to the ship future. Burning Man sculptures. No, we out? do that. Oh, you're they ship give it them. to us. We we pay yes. for the. That's amazing. Now look Isn't at that. Who's is that? And it probably lights up at night. That's incredible. And you go out there and you just visit all these sculptures. It's nine miles of sculpture. You just go. You ride your bike from sculpture to sculpture. And many of them, most of them, are interactive. So you can go wow. inside of them. You can climb up in them. They sometimes they have swings, <clears> and a lot of them have fire coming out. That's incredible. Because you can beautiful. you can light things on fire there. That's what makes it so exciting mm. too. Anyway. Yeah, really oh, the, this is the Belgian the Belgian waffle. Oh, here's Kate Roddenbush. That's Kate Roddenbush. We have a Kate Roddenbush sculpture at Cosmo. A what? Kate Roddenbush. She does uh, laser cut, cold rolled steel sculptures that are that are interactive. Like they're pods. You sit in them. They're they're real comfy. They're Whoa, cozy. Oh, this is amazing. Yeah. We're looking at for people that are listening. We're looking How about at Mars this, One. Look at Mars on. One sculptures on the floor. For people that are listening, we're looking at this this geometric object that's. Circular, 
but it's got squared edges. What would you call that? What is that? An X? What, what, what is that? It is a sacred geometric form, and these guys are Why are you doing uh, it in a from. from <laughs> <laughs> they're they're from San Francisco. We okay. know these guys. Um, and the, this whatever this geometric form are they, is. Are they inside. the ones making my chandeliers? Yes, yes. They're making my chandeliers for for Entheon. I'm going to have chandeliers uh, that that where light where they turn and the light sh- sh- falls on people. It's environmental. It's what is it? It's called, Jamie, uh, Fest 300, a sneak peek at the coolest art coming to Burning Man. Oh, um, so you c- Look at that. What's not, um, so you can see this uh, online if you go Google it. It's really stunning, this image. Okay, so there's a magazine that has a bunch of these images. Oh, God, that's amazing. That's cool. Almost worth going. Yeah. Maybe if you br- bring a big tour bus. Yeah. Well, yeah. we bring an RV. You don't. You don't hmm. want to come, Joe, without an RV. You want to come oh. with an RV. Well, so you, you have your home house. Ready to hike. <laughs> Are you kidding? No, we don't camp. How long does it take to get out there? How long, where is it? Let's see. Tens of thousands of people do. Nine camp. Nine hours from we, here. We where is it? It's uh, Black Rock City out in. Uh, it's about an hour from Reno. It's in Nevada. Mm-hmm. It's in Nevada. Yeah. It's probably got a lot of nuclear energy out there. Mm. Right. God knows. Where do those tests? You ever see that? Um, the animated GIF. Uh, it's like a little movie of uh, all the nuclear tests that they've done in Nevada. Shit. Ooh. Might explain a lot. Yeah. Explain mm. a lot about what's going on out there. Hundreds of them. Just do, 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 do. They did this thing from like 1940, whatever it was, the time where they detonated the first atomic bomb to present. Stunning. It's the bottom of a sea yeah. that mm-hmm. once was. Right. It's made of crushed shell. And, you know, it feels like sand, but if you walk on it. You won't be able to use your feet in the middle of the winter. It's, what? what I'm saying what? is it lasts. It sucks the, the moisture last. out of your feet. Yeah. You won't be able to use your feet in the middle of the winter. <laughs> they're cracking. Mean? They're cracking even in the middle of the winter. I did it once. I'm just telling you. It, 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 I had to walk back from the man to our camp without any shoes because I lost my shoes. And I walked back through. And it feels like sand at first. But then it's like. Knives, you like little tiny little knives. They're like shells. It's like crushed, crushed shells. And it messed up your feet. And all winter, I was dealing with cracked <clears throat> feet. Happy ply of feet, burning. <laughs> See, you have to wear boots and really cover up. Hmm. And it gets to be like 110 degrees in the day and 40 degrees at night. <sighs> Sounds like you're trying to keep me off. I know. I know. <laughs> trying to keep me off the playa. Too many well, things. we're building a place at Cosm that yes. is. Going to house some of the sculptures and have little sculptural areas. So, and we have these small gatherings. By comparison to that, mm. they'll never be huge like that. Though, but hundreds of people will gather, so it can still feel kind of tribal and community mm-hmm. oriented. But you know, a lot of the same music is enjoyed. We always and, have fire uh, circle, and we, we have always f- have fire spinning. We actually teach. Fire spinning at Cosmo. Yeah, and we Do have you some worry fire about that getting out of hand, things. like fire, all that fire spinning around. There, those people are the most cautious, and we also have a relationship with the fire department there in our town. We oh. have a sheriff on property uh, at the at each event where there are uh, you know large numbers of people, and so we you know safety first. Mm. You know, but there's ways of doing it. So when do you anticipate this entire thing, the entire COSM? We should tell everybody that means Chapel of Sacred Mirrors. That's what COSM stands for. And when do you anticipate that being fully operational and 
in action? Well, right now, it it is open. We're open like four days a week so that people, we have a uh, ongoing stream of people who just are visitors and there are uh, small art exhibits that are on display now. We're working on Entheon. That's where the grand exhibit will be housed and the exhibit that we had on display for five years in the city that is not currently on display the sacred mirrors are not there but they will be in the new space and so the new space as we said we're thinking will open sometime in 2017 probably toward the end of the year and then uh the as as we can we will build the outside of it you know the the sculpture it's just a matter of how many years it's going to take. It's going to probably take a few years. You could but, win the Powerball Lotto. Yeah, yeah. And then you or would be able to do it Massive donations can come in. All these things Much can more happen. Much to get donations. Yeah, I think all these it. things can happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Kickstarter thing, look, Joe, you were really helpful to us when the last time we did the uh, podcast, there was definitely a Rogan bump that happened to the uh, Kickstarter that took us... Uh, to a new level. Well, and the so, good news is that there's probably like how many more million people listening now? Like how many years ago was it that you guys came on last? Three 2013. years. So that was we were getting probably like four million downloads a month. Probably triple that now, I'd say. At least. From what it was three years ago. At least triple. <laughs> and then with the YouTube. Yeah, plus YouTube, yeah. So it's probably like so we're in the neighborhood of 30 million downloads a month. Well, thank so you for joining us and being a temple builder. Joining us? <laughs> temple well, builder? You are. You're helping us build this <laughs> sounds temple, Sounds like you're implicating Joe. me in something. Yeah, I, am. I totally <laughs> am. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of people that are excited about it. I think what, what the idea behind it is beautiful. The idea that you guys are leaving it for the community and building it for the community is beautiful. And uh, that's one of the best arguments for a religion that I've ever heard. No. And, and best arguments for having a religion be tax-exempt. That I've ever heard. I mean, you guys are literally doing it for other people. You're doing it for everybody. It's awesome. And, you know, your artwork is, I'm just a huge fan of what you do. And I just think that uh, the design itself is literally, like I said, probably the coolest building on the planet. And it's a real, I mean, what you're doing is essentially an extension of the great works of all these, you know, when you're talking about the Sistine Chapel or if you're talking about the Egyptian pyramids or any of these sacred sites that exist all throughout the world. You're doing a modern version of that, and it's it's amazing. It's really, really cool. Alex's 50 greatest works, I think, will be on view there in their original form. Mm. Not she clays, but the actual paintings that Alex stroked with his own hand. And some of them have become really iconic to people. There are a lot of people out there that have Alex's posters and T-shirts. And, oh, I have a bunch. And, and, and she clays and everything. But to see the originals, that's a study for other artists. What is a she clay? Well, that's like the prints that a lot of people have, the limited edition prints that they have oh. of of paintings that wonderful labor-intensive art is, is made. I've never heard that word. you ever heard that word? It's G a print. Clay? Limited edition prints. I've never heard it said. I've read it. I, just, I thought it was a gleeky or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the, the other thing about Antheon is that it's going to display the work of the international visionary art movement. Mm. And uh, these are, I mean, if you liked my stuff... You should see some of the young people that are making art out of their journeys now. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they're evolving beyond, you know, my work. And right. uh, also, I, I think they're building an encyclopedia of these dimensions of mm. altered states that people can say, 
it was something like that. You well, know? it's very specific in that if you go back before the 1960s and you look at the art, it really didn't represent the trips. It, it just didn't. Um, and you look at it now, there's a giant body of art that represents these psychedelic trips that really didn't exist before. So in, in a lot of ways, it is a, a quiet new chapter in the world of art that one day I think people are going to look back on. And once we realize the ridiculousness of the prohibition on drugs, especially on psychedelic drugs, non-toxic, um, non-problematic as far as like health repercussions, and you wonder like what, what was it about our restrictive society that put this sweeping comprehensive ban on psychedelic substances in 1970 and what were the ramifications what was you know what were the consequences of society so you it's, know there was no organic there was no eco there was no eco careers mm -hmm. there was there was no um, you know save the planet talk Climate change. We never heard about that growing up. Well, there was there was people that were talking about it, and there were certainly, certainly people that were recycling and composting and doing things along those lines and trying to leave a smaller footprint back then, aware of it. But as far as a gigantic global conscious movement and also the urgency that's, that's attached to it today, where people are stepping back and they're looking at islands disappearing. And, you know, they're looking at the rising sea levels and they go, whoa, 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 this is real. This is actually happening inside of our lifetime. There's, there's a lot going on that I think we're, we're, we're in the middle of. And I think uh, this visionary art that, that is going on right now, we, we're sort of in the middle of that. I think as we look back on it or as people past us look back on it, they're going to say this is a very specific era. This was an era – like if you – Go back and uh, look at religious history, and you look at the um, the Enlightenment. You look at the, the various styles of art that's connected to religion or cultural change. You know, you see these big shifts. I think the visionary art of psychedelics is a big shift. And, it's huge. Yeah, I, I I think that it's the it's showing that the big news today is the sacramental uh, sort of. Reformation, you know, that there's a uh, return of the sacrament to the West. It's been demonized and hidden for thousands of years. Now it's back, and you're not going to get rid of it. Now it's here because we need it. There's nothing that's going to turn consciousness around toward a sacred planet that wants to save itself from self-destruction like psychedelics. There is no greater prescription uh, for soul medicine than uh, this is the stuff that is curing all of the traumatic stress of, of the vets. You know, marijuana is part uh, – is leading the way in the medicinals and opening the door literally for the sacred drugs, the return of the sacred drugs. Now, we don't even have a context uh, established in America, but it's beginning. You know, the UDV church won their right to use the sacrament. The uh, Native American church has peyote. There is legal uh, precedent for religious use already, yeah, the, as, the, the, as there has been throughout history, except for the last couple thousand years. Well, in, in, in this country, as you were talking about with MDMA, I mean, just really the last few decades. Yeah. And 5-methoxy-dimethyltryptamine, um, I, mean, I bought that stuff online. 
Yeah. Like in uh, 2001 or something like that, right. <clears throat> you could just order it from some chemical company. They sent you a bottle of it. You get the whole world high. I remember that. Yeah, it was great times. It, yes, it was. And uh, somehow we've got to find a way to incorporate these sacraments. Well, I think they're being incorporated. And I think one of the things that you said that you just sort of glossed over, but it's incredibly important, is that marijuana is the door opener. Yeah. Marijuana is the guy that you let into the party that has the magic dust, and he went, and he blew it on everybody. Because once that gets in, and especially edible marijuana, because edible marijuana is a psychedelic drug, and many people don't know it. And that's one of the reasons why when people eat brownies or something, they'll say, oh, my God, someone laced the brownie. No, that's what it is. That, that is the most potent form of marijuana, is the edible form of marijuana. And it is very visionary, yeah. especially in high doses. It's incredibly introspective, acid-like in a lot of ways. You know, you, you get a perspective that is life-changing and shifting. And it's one of those directional shifts where even if it's a small degree of change over the course of the rest of your life, that small degree of change could equal a very large shift in the direction that you're going. As you continue down your path, that slight turn to the right will make a huge difference five years from now, ten years from now. I think marijuana becoming legal in Colorado and we us seeing not just the positive benefits in terms of the community you're looking at people that are making way more money than they've ever made before you're looking at housing prices real estate prices going up people having a a new sense of community where they like oh there's others like us it's like a magnet for freaks and they've all flown into colorado and set up shop there it's fascinating i did a show there a couple months ago at the belco theater and it was amazing. It was like this place has changed in a year. I recorded my last comedy special um, about two years ago, two years in August in Colorado. And then I did the most recent one about six months ago in Colorado, the most recent uh, spe- uh, show that I did there. And I could feel the shift. When you're driving down the street, you see the difference. There's pot everywhere. There's people are smiling. The lowest incidence of drunk driving they've ever recorded. Lowest incidence of violent crime. Everything is dropping. Suicide there's, rates. Yes. And, half. Yes. And money. The money that the state is making is insane. They literally have a surplus of taxes. It's an attractor. They've made more money from taxes from marijuana than they did from alcohol for the first time ever. No one's ever done that. And you've got this happy community. And now Seattle has entered into the mix. Now Washington, D.C. is entering into the mix. In November, California is going to vote on it. And I guarantee it's going to go through. You think? <sighs> oh, yes. Of course it is. Well, bl- just, it just try to send a little blessing New York way, okay? Because New York is so far behind. I'm so ashamed of us. Come on. we got to move It'll that happen. direction. And our people will It'll happen. just love it so well, much. I think that just the... The ideologies that are were in place that stopped it, they're, they're eroding. Those people are too old. They're too out of touch. They don't understand the, uh, the mindset of the young people. And they've really underestimated the power of this movement. They, they, this is a wave, and you can't suppress it anymore. You can't. It's a movement of people that are upwardly spiraling. Okay? Yes. They're people that are healthy, beautiful, exactly. positive, ecological, save the planet, mm-hmm. educated, more thinking people. It's such an attractor. Yes. And so everybody wants to be part. They wonder, what's, what is that? And, well, it's uh, what it can have a power. It's what we were talking about earlier when we were talking about plant intelligence. Yes. There is an intelligence in marijuana, mm, an absolutely. absolute, undoubted oh, yeah. intelligence. 
Well, and it exists, I think, in all plants. It exists it in does, and but funguses as not, well. Not all plants uh, are mirroring systems inside of uh, the human body like cannabis. Right. Since it was the probably the original or one of the original cultiv- sure. cultivated plants, I think that humanity over the millennia worked out a symbiotic relationship with this plant. And so we have the endocannabinoid system. Yeah. And then the... Uh, and I would say that probably many of our health deficiencies are because we're not getting our cannabis. Uh, THC <laughs> deficiencies. Hilarious. and uh, No, well, look, true, yeah. the, the AMA in the 30s went to uh, Congress and said, please don't make cannabis illegal. It's in half of our medicine. You know, for 87 years, it's been part of the American pharmacopoeia. Please allow us to continue to use it. No, it was struck down. And so it's been repressed uh, since then. And a lot of it has just been pure racism, actually. That's the cause of it. Well, that was what those recent papers were released about the Nixon administration. It's one of the the ways they demonized the black rights movement, civil rights movement, and also the anti-war movement. Absolutely. Is they attacked marijuana and they attacked psychedelic drugs and that was the reason why they passed that sweeping legislation in the first place was just to be able to have a reason to arrest those people they knew they could attack the communities and in attacking those communities the best way to do it was to go after the drugs nixon hated them and nixon was uh, a traitor to america nixon uh was probably with bush one of the worst we've ever experienced and through his hatred and venom, we have the drug war that now for over 40 years, we've just been laboring under the boot of a fascist traitor that once resigned from office. He was. He was, he was you know, impeached, really. And but I wanted to say, go back to what you were saying about fungus, because people sometimes ask, what, does L- what is LSD? What does it, you know, what does it look like? What is it? And I wanted to mention that uh, recently there's microscopic, you know, images of, well, what it is is it's fungus growing on rye. So there's these microscopic images that you can call up and look at that see the LSD. It looks like a field of little tiny mushrooms. That's all. Just mm. microscopic. Well, you remember the, uh, the, the revelation that they had a few a few years back when they were trying to figure out what caused the Salem witch trials. And one of the leading theories was that they had had a late frost and that the late frost had caused these funguses to grow on bread, ergot to grow on bread. And that when that happened, these people were experiencing very acid-like effects from eating bread. And then they started freaking out and blaming people for it and thinking that they were being possessed. And it was a whole wave of paranoia that came from that. It's unbelievably fascinating when you think about it that way. It really is. It's uh, actually the uh, to be cured from ergotism, uh, this uh, uh, Bishop uh, Flaubert. Right, he, I guess, he, and uh, he was responsible the, for like Chartres Cathedral. Yeah, but. like a thousand years ago, basically prayed to Mary and said, "If you'll cure me of this ergotism, uh, which oh. is very dangerous, you know, but it leads to many visions, I will build you the most beautiful temple ever built." You know, oh. and so he was cured, and he did found uh, Chartres Cathedral. But uh, as a result, so that's one of the cool things about ergotism. 
and ergot. But the coolest thing is definitely LSD uh, and Hoffman's ability to stabilize that. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then – so basically the coolest thing about the psychedelics to me is that they – uh, in the, and the science that has been done is the Good Friday experiment and Roland Griffith's work, and that has basically given us the best evidence for the existence of God because 65% of uh, people who take psilocybin in a safe set and setting and they're spiritually inclined will have a full-blown mystical experience. That's now science. It's proven. So a majority of people who take uh, a psychedelic, basically, in a positive setting, and they don't, you know, they're not uh, pre-schizo themselves, you know, not a borderline personality. If you're stable. Uh, pre-schizo, yeah, that's important to put out. You know, because I think that a lot of people think that psychedelics are for everybody, but they're not. unfortunately there's some folks amongst us that have a very difficult time with just regular stable sobriety. And but, mental issues, you know. But I think in the end, they're going to, with science, with medicine and science, I think what's going to be found out is that uh, these psychedelics are going to cure schizophrenia. I really think that when they, when they use it, it properly, because that's what the science is doing now, they're experimenting with all kinds of... With schizophrenics? What, what science not, is being I'm not sure on? if there's any studies with schizophrenics, but no. I, I, because it mirrors schizophrenia, it may be... Um, I don't know. I think that research will be done uh, related to all kinds of um, uh, psychological illness. And um, but anyway, it's curing so many things. It can cure uh, cluster headaches. And the studies are, you know, like Harvard, Yale, Johns Hopkins, mm -hmm. all the big, all the big universities that can, that Maps can get funding for. Right. They're funding all that. Research. Yeah, well, Maps is really fascinating and amazing. amazing. And what they've done is just add. A, uh, an actual intellectual perspective on psychedelic drugs, an undeniably researched, really well-documented perspective that's so important. I've, uh, I mean, I, when I had um, my first experiences with, um, with MAPS, I, I remember thinking, like, thank God there's someone like this out there, Some, someone like Doblin out there, Rick Doblin, who yeah. has taken the super intelligent approach to recognizing what these substances are and what are the positive benefits are and how can you get these things slowly but surely through the legal system and that's what they're yeah. doing now with mdma that's what they're doing now with the studies that they're doing on uh, soldiers with post-traumatic stress disorder and all sorts of other people too police officers anybody rape victims rape victims yeah, yeah. violence yeah. victims exactly um i think that's it's so important it's just it's uh, these are really beneficial things that we're being denied and we're yeah. being denied by people who haven't experienced them which is the most ironic aspect of it it's like someone having penicillin but they won't let it, you try it yeah because you know they don't well, use it themselves I no mean, and we know that uh such things as ibogaine exist mm -hmm. there is a way to interrupt opioid uh addiction and the addiction process this is a, a potential cure for uh the many Millions of people who are currently opiate addicted, ibogaine therapy has been uh, working out miraculous results for people. It helps them turn around their lives and uh, to uh, stop needing the junk. In two mm -hmm. to three days. And, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a, One treatment. It's literally miraculous. We know it exists. It's, uh, you know, the Department of Defense ought to be using it for our poor vets that have returned from an unrighteous battle. 
The whole cause of their suicidal behavior, I believe, is because they were told to go by, uh, into an unrighteous battle. It was a war waged on lies and only to create, basically to kick a, kick a hornet's nest, you know, to keep an endless war going. It's working pretty good. Well, post-traumatic stress disorder, what's really fascinating about it is um, that there's this reaction to stress, to intense stress, yes. traumatic situations, and that your body has this, this almost this intense anticipation of uh, a constant battle, of constant stress, and that that can be interrupted. And that this is there's really no other method. I mean, you can go to therapy all your life and slowly, perhaps, slowly erode the memories of this and give yourself some psychological tools to manage these experiences. But as far as like something that can sort of stop it in its tracks, there's never been anything that's demonstrated that has the power of psychedelics. Yes. The post-traumatic stress disorder studies are showing that 85% of vets that have it and uh, are otherwise untreatable are, are having success after one treatment. And MAPS got a, a grant to do a second and third trial. That means the people, the 15% who didn't, uh, you know, really feel a relief from post-traumatic stress disorder get a second turn and a third turn. Mm. So it's, it's amazing. Uh, it's so amazing. Many it's amazing. And it's not just the substance, but it's the psychological uh, therapy uh, relationship. Well, with, it's also the reset. The reset, yeah, the control-alt-delete totally. for the mind, the, the resetting of the consciousness. That I think so many of us operate on momentum. We, we operate on the momentum of our past, and that's all we know. And it's sort of the, the – the, we, we, we're connected to that momentum like a safety blanket. Like we, we believe that this momentum equals the future, and that there, it's very difficult to get out of those grooves that are so deeply carved in our consciousness. That's right. And almost nothing – does it? But MDMA will allow you to get that distance. Mm -hmm. And uh, for you, in, in order for you to uh, transform out of a phase, you know, the psychologists basically say that you have to be able to look at your subjective state from an, ob uh, you know, another objective uh, observation on that subjective state. And so that's literally what's happening with the... Uh, uh, MDMA. You're distanced from it. You can look at your behavior or your uh, what happened to you in, with more dispassion. You can have compassion on the, yourself, you know, and uh, start to forgive everyone involved. And it's, it's a miraculous uh, and life-changing, which then leads to new neural growth. Uh, in both psilocybin and uh, MDMA, they've been charting that uh, there is new neural pathways. Uh, not only does it just feel it that way, but it literally is that way. It that is changing your mind. It's changing your brain. Wow. And your mind. All right, folks. The Kickstarter. Tell people, Jamie, put that stuff up on the screen. Show people how to get to it. And if you could give out the URL. Buildentheon.com. Buildentheon.com, E-N-T-H-E-O-N.com, buildentheon.com. 923 backers. Look at this, folks. Uh, 122626000 is already pledged. Bam. 
Yeah, it's coming. Great 20 rewards. days coming. Wonderful art, yeah. great rewards. And we will put this up on Twitter today, and we'll put it up on Facebook today, Thank and uh, we'll let everybody know what's so up. Thank you, Thank Joe. You You're Appreciate super you awesome. Guys. You guys are awesome, too. Appreciate oh, you yeah. very much. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back tomorrow with Allison Rosen. Take care. See you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, you fucks. Whoa. Thanks, everybody, for tuning into the podcast, and thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Stamps.com. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in J-R-E for your free digital scale, free postage, $110 bonus offer, four-week trial. Go check it out. You'll love it. Guaranteed. Thanks also to Audible. Go to audible.com forward slash Joe. Da, 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 and get a free 30-day trial today. That's audible.com forward slash Joe. <sighs> Thanks also to ZipRecruiter. Go to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash Rogan and you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's ZipRecruiter.com forward slash Rogan. And thanks each and every episode to onit.com. Go to O-N-N-I-T. Use the code word ROGAN. Save 10% off any and all supplements. Thank you to Caveman Coffee Company for getting us through this motherfucker podcast. Uh, we are fueled each and every episode with the caffeine from single source, single family, single origin coffee beans that come from Caveman Coffee from Colombia. CavemanCoffeeCO.com. Go there, enjoy, buy some fucking amazing coffee, have it delivered to your house, and feel good about it. My friends, thank you so much. Um, that's the end of this episode, and we'll be back tomorrow with Allison Rosen from Allison Rosen is your best friend. Or is she your new best friend? I think Allison Rosen is your new best friend is the title of her podcast. She's very cool. She used to work with uh, Adam Carolla. I uh, always enjoyed talking to her there. Looking forward to hanging out with her tomorrow. So until then, go fuck yourself. All right. Okay. That sounds so gross. That was top top 40 DJ guy. That, every now and then I break him out. Top 40 DJ guy. We'll be back tomorrow with Allison Rosen. Woo! All right. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.